Welcome to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. From City to the World is a show about how the work that we're doing at City College matters to people across the city and throughout the world. We'll discuss the practical application of our research in solving real-world issues like poverty, homelessness, mental health challenges, affordable housing, immigration, and disparities in health care. On today's show, we will be commemorating the 100-year anniversary of the City College's Grove School of Engineering. The school offers undergraduate degrees in biomedical, chemical, civil, electrical, and mechanical engineering, and it also has master's programs in computer science and information systems. Students in our engineering school work with world-class mentors in advanced research laboratories on energy and sustainability, nanotechnology and materials engineering to transportation, and remote sensing. The Grove School of Engineering also gives students hands-on experience through various programs like Engineers Without Borders, whose students built a clean water system in El Salvador over several summers. CCNY's Grove School of Engineering offers intense training in fields that lead to social mobility and good-paying jobs. Um, so to discuss the Grove School of Engineering's anniversary, we are joined today by the school's dean, Dean Gilda Barbino, on the second half of the show, Curtis Archer, who is the president of the Harlem Community Development Corporation, will join the conversation with us. So let me just tell you a little bit about uh, Dean Barbino. She has an extensive resume, and I'm going to share a little bit of it with you now. She holds appointments in City College's biomedical engineering and chemical engineering departments, and she's also uh, on the faculty of the CUNY School of Medicine. She's a noted investigator in the areas of sickle cell disease, cellular and tissue engineering, and race and ethnicity and gender, in science and engineering. Dr. Barbino is a member of the National Science Foundation's Advisory Committee for Engineering. She's a member of the congressionally mandated Committee on Equal Opportunities in Science and Engineering and the National Academy's Committee on Women in Science, Engineering, and Medicine. She's also served on the National Institute of Health and the National Ac Academy's Committees on the Impact of Sexual Harassment in Academia, Dr. Barabino consults nationally and internationally on STEM education and research, diversity in higher education, policy, workforce development, and faculty development. And she is the founder and executive director of the National Institute for Faculty Equity. She received her BS degree in chemistry from Xavier University of Louisiana and a PhD in chemical engineering from Rice University. And here's the big one, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Barabino was recently elected to the National Academy of Engineering and is one of only six African-American women to hold this distinction. This is something that we, uh, we w happened just recently. We will be celebrating this. And so let me, on the air, by way of welcoming here, congratulate you on this, this latest accolade. Uh, Dr. Barbino, welcome to From City to the World. Thank you so much, President Boudreaux. So uh, just to start off, our, our listeners may not know um, they probably know there is a School of Engineering at City College, and I listed some of the, the fields of study here. But, but can you tell us a little bit about um, what the school's strengths are and what the programs are? Sure. So the, the programs that you mentioned uh, basically speak to the areas that we cover. And I'd add to that we also have translational medicine at, at a master's level, and we also do urban sustainability. I think notably about what we cover, we are the only public school of education, I'm sorry, of engineering in the City University of New York system. And we are the only public school of engineering um, in the city of New York. So what we do uniquely is provide access uh, to engineering education. And notably, we use the city of New York as our laboratory. You know, I spend a lot of time talking to, uh, I was with people with the MTA yesterday, I spend time with Con Edison. The students that graduate from our engineering school are in leadership roles in all of the big, you know, Port Authority, MTA, um, uh, Con Edison. I think I heard that there are 250 uh, retired City College graduates who used to work for Con Edison and 250 current employees working in leadership positions in Con Edison. So, so this is really a, a, a gift to the city. Uh, Absolutely. And for those of you out there listening, uh, uh, when we say we're the only public uh, engineering school in New York City, that means we are by far the most affordable <laughs> engineering school in, in, in New York City. So as we know, engineers work in labs. Uh, and the Grove School has some you know, truly exciting things going on in the laboratories. I've taken time to visit them, but w without 
you making somebody angry because you didn't mention their project. Tell <laughs> us about sort of three of the most exciting projects that, that, that you think are going on in your, in your school. Absolutely. And of course, it would be hard to mention three, but there are three that come to mind that are particularly prevalent to what's going on in our current times and our uh, community and what's relevant in particular. And I am going to go ahead and name a few, including sure. names. Uh, one uh, is a project being led by Marco Costaldi, who's actually been interviewed here. Last uh, month. That's that, right. That's correct. And he does some exciting things with converting waste to energy and different forms of energy. So that's one example. We have another very exciting team uh, coming out of computer science and computer engineering. Rosario Gennaro, Tarek Sadawi, uh, Michael Grossberg, uh, Kira Kawaguchi, and Zigang Zhu. And so they're working in areas like cybersecurity and the Internet of Things and the connectivity. And then uh, projects like how do you bring data science and computer science to everyone? Mm -hmm. Like how do you make it accessible? And I couldn't resist mentioning my own area of research. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, so I'm uh, working, looking at some of the um, disparities related to sickle cell disease, but also how do we use engineering principles to study a problem like sickle cell disease uh, and what's medically uh, wrong with it. So we use sickle transgenic mice. So these are mice that have been genetically manipulated to have human sickle cell disease. And we look at things like what's wrong with the bone mechanics. And we look at things like what's the effect of particular drug treatments. And sickle cell disease is something that I've studied my entire career. And it in particular because it predominantly affects the African-American community. Mm -hmm. So the ability for engineers to give back to their own communities and to do things as varied as what I told you about with the energy, computer science, and then medicine. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, this idea of engineers giving back to their own communities? We're not, you know, we're not a run-of-the-mill college. We, we are proudly part of Harlem. Our, our students come from all walks of life, uh, very, very diverse population. And I mean, I guess we could probably use your work as an example of this. I think our students come to a place like the Grove School of Engineering because they want to benefit our communities. And so as, a, as an instructor working in the area of sickle cell health, um, how do you bring that message home to the, to the students that study with you? So one thing is to actually let people see and understand the community that they're serving, mm -hmm. like be a part of it. Okay. Um, we reach out to clinicians. We actually speak with the individuals living with the disease and their families. We go out into the community. We do things like do a sickle cell walk for the community. And for engineers in general, it's the idea of making these problems real and seeing the connections. Just like we want to understand the best way to serve a student, student-centered learning, for example, when we're serving patients or the community, it's patient-centered. Or mm -hmm. if you're looking at an environmental problem, you need to be community-centered. Like, how does that problem affect that particular community? Mm -hmm. So making the connections, showing the real-world connections is really how we do it. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is really one of, one of the real brands of City College is, is that faculty members and researchers, but then also the students who become co-researchers with faculty are, are deeply committed to identifying and working on the problems that solve, that, that exist in the neighborhoods right around CCNY. That's where our students come from, and this is really where we're turning our attention. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about the 100th anniversary of engineering at City College. I said 100th anniversary of the Grove School, but we only named the school the Grove School about 10 years ago. But engineering started in City College way back in um, 1919. So we are now 100 years old, really deeply proud of that. Um, and over the course of 100 years, in our teaching, in who we graduate, in the kinds of inventions that came out of our labs, but also out of the lives of people that are City College alumni, we've racked up a number of really um, tremendous accomplishments. I have some of my own. I don't, I don't know which ones you're going to name, but I'm going to ask you to, to let us know a little bit about what the legacy of the Grove School has been over those hundred years, and, and um, I may throw in one or two of my own. Sure. So I have to say we are innovators, we're disruptors, uh, we push the envelope. We're 
we our tagline is we're engineering the future. Mm-hmm. So you absolutely cannot start talking about that level of innovation without talking about our namesake, mm-hmm. Andy Grove. Mm-hmm. So he was a co-founder of Intel. He's a time man of the year. He was very driven. He came to City College much like many of our students as an immigrant. He was an immigrant from Hungary. He escaped that oppression and found his way to the United States into City College of New York, and he uh, got a degree in chemical engineering. So like Andy Grove, I feel like our students come here, they're hungry. They're ready to move to the next level and use their education in ways that really are truly making a difference. So we really embody that spirit of Andy Grove. But another um, couple of innovators I'd like to uh, mention is Robert um, Kahn. He graduated in 1960 Mm -hmm. in electrical engineering and Leonard Kleinrock in 1957. And the two of them are considered fathers of the Internet. And so when you have a legacy of individuals who graduated from engineering with that type of contribution to the country, you have tough shoes to fill. Yeah, yeah. I think back to, um, and people don't know, the civil engineering that constructed the Panama Canal. Those are all City College graduates that that, that did that work. Um, We have a guy that we honored last year who was an engineer who, you know, the the water pipes that, that, there's a guy named Ed Plotkin, who will say to you in very kind of self-deprecating language, I dig holes. I dig holes. That's what I do. I dig holes. I've dug holes my whole life. But when he says that, what he means is when the water pipes were being laid along the, the east side of Manhattan, he was the guy that dynamited the holes that joined the water coming from the reservoirs into the city. And, and, and so you look over the years of the accomplishments. Here's another one that I love telling about. We didn't even know about this as a sustained emphasis in the program. But, you know, everyone knows that we have an astronaut, Mario Runco, who's a graduate of, of CCNY Engineering. What people didn't know is that the roots of NASA, the Nimbus Project, satellites, they're peppered with, with people that have graduated from City College that solve some of the fundamental problems that put America into space. And it's, it's you know, we've had a lot of fun this year looking back over 100 years and... and, and and, and really asking the question, where would we be as a people, technologically, socially, without engineering at City College? Um, now I want to just, there's a, there is a broader public discussion about economic development going through and a lot of talk about the need to bring manufacturing jobs back to the United States, need to jumpstart new technologies. And so I wanted to know, you know, what's the role of an engineering school? in that effort, and when you think particularly about the relationship between the Grove School and the economy of northern Manhattan, what role do you play in economic development? So when you think about engineering education and economic development, the most important role we're playing is providing and training the workforce Mm -hmm. that's going to uh, be able to uh, deal with the rapidly changing technology and uh, contribute to the community. And I'd like to say, like, what we try to do is be ahead of where education is going and how we're educating the students. Mm -hmm. So as the world changes and and technology changes and we have to incorporate it more, we have to teach the students new ways. We need new ways of educating the students. We need to deal with new literacies. Mm -hmm. So if you think about people, when they talk about literacies, they often think about uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Right. So we're talking about technical literacies. We're talking about making sure that everyone understands data science and everyone understands things like um, how do you uh, connect systems, ways of thinking with science, technology, but also connecting and integrating that with humanities, with Mm -hmm. the arts. And there's a new term that people have been um, talking about lately. It's called like human literacy. Uh And so one of the things that they're thinking about, what are the things that make us uniquely human? And how do we develop and hone those skills, like creativity, Uh like innovation, like entrepreneurship? So we want to make sure that when our students leave, they're work ready, and they're ready with the literacies that we need for the changing world. How do you, I mean, that we can all agree that getting to that kind of human literacy uh, is, is, would be a terrific goal. I, 
out of the box, it's hard for you to imagine what a curriculum for human literacy would look like. How do you, how do you push students in that direction? So you push students in, in ways that they see that. So engineering, for example, and, and it, it's a known thing that like people say engineers could work on their communication skills. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said about engineers. So you push on integrating those skill sets mm -hmm. that, you know, it turns out like a lot of engineers are actually good musicians and good poets. Yes. So you integrate those. You work on those skills. You work on things like cultural literacy. Mm -hmm. Cultural literacy and so that you can be uh, agile in different cultures. So you learn about them. You incorporate that. This is the idea of being community-centric and so on. You incorporate those with the traditional ways of educating. Okay. Um, you are listening to From City to the World on WHCR 90.3 FM in New York. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. Today we are commemorating the 100-year anniversary of engineering at City College. Uh, we call that the Grove School of Engineering today. And our guest today is an engineer who does not need to work on her communication skills, Dean Gilda Barbino. Um, Dr. Barbino, as I said earlier, has been elected to the National Academy of Engineering as one of only six African-American women to hold that distinction. Let's just, without embarrassing you, let's just talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, those of you listening, we, we, we have a... a we often have a kind of script with some questions. This is not a written down question, but um, I do want to, I, I want to, you know, everybody doesn't know what this academy is. And could you just tell us a little bit about what this means to you uh, to have been recognized in this way? So the, the, being elected to the National Academy of Engineering, it is the highest honor you can get that shows that you have achieved in your uh, professional discipline. So to have the highest honor and to join others who have that mark of professional accomplishment, mm -hmm. it actually does mean a lot because yeah. we are driven by our passions. Like I am working towards giving back in engineering and, and opening doors for others because that's what I care about. That's what I want to do. But having that level of professional recognition is also very re rewarding. It's also very rewarding for me to to say that I've reached a student. Yeah, this is up there too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's I mean it is something that makes us terribly proud, and, Thank you. and I'm glad that we have the opportunity to to connect this personal milestone in your life with the institutional milestone of the of the Grove School. Um, apart from the work you do in, in biomedical and chemical engineering. Um, you're, you're nationally known as somebody who thinks deeply about the diversification of, of, of the STEM fields. Uh, I've said now twice you're one of six African-American women uh, elected to the National Academy. Uh, let me just ask you, is there another African-American woman who's the dean of an engineering school in the country? There are. There are. Okay. Not many, but Not there many. are. Okay, I'm, I'm disappointed in your answer. <laughs> but, um, but neither of these things are common, to, to, you know, to be uh, a woman in, a, in an engineering field which is still dominated by men, maybe less in biomedical than the other fields. Um, it is not a discipline that is um, deeply diversified ethnically, although we're, we're making progress. And... So first, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your life. Like, how did you um, come to embrace engineering as your future? And then let's talk about the discipline and your work there. I came to engineering sort of on my own, like feeling my way and uh, just learning and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I started out as a pre-med chemistry major okay. at Xavier. And Xavier is actually really known for placing African-American students into medical school. And... I realized early on that I actually did not want to be a clinician, but then what? So mm -hmm. I started um, searching for other ways that I could contribute and came upon engineering. It's not like I had role models or mentors. I certainly did not have someone who looked like me or had my experience who was in engineering. But I decided that engineering would be a way for me to um, contribute to medicine by using engineering principles to solve a medical problem. Mm -hmm. And that was a way to stay connected to the medical community, even though I did not want to be a clinician. Mm -hmm. So that's how I found my way to engineering. And then 
decided to do graduate work that would allow me to use the engineering in a medical application. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that experience of, of not having a lot of role models, uh, both as it shaped your life, but also as it shaped the work that you've done. Because really, you spent a huge portion of your professional life trying to figure out how to be a role model for, for the people that will follow you. And, and, and so first of all, tell me what it was like to, to be kind of a pioneer in the field. And, and then let's talk a little bit about the work you've done um, to diversify the, the STEM fields. So I realize now, like the pioneer status trailblazer, being solo, the only one in many of the uh, environments that I found myself in, did absolutely shape my life's work mm -hmm. because beyond the research that we've talked about, I became very committed to how do I open doors for others so that others aren't in solo status. Mm -hmm. And I became very attuned to what are some of the factors that contribute to the, the solo, uh, us not having enough uh, representation of women and underrepresented minorities. So that, again, has shaped my life work. I also noticed the connection between not having a faculty of color represented and having students of color. Mm -hmm. It's known, it's documented in social sciences that if you have more faculty of color, and same thing around gender, if you have more women, you will draw more students from those underrepresented groups. Mm -hmm. So I spent a good bit of my career on how to bring others in. And notably, what I noticed was that there are those who work at different stages of what we're calling the pipeline or different pathways, but there wasn't much work being done at the level of faculty. So I have spent a good bit of my efforts on how to diversify the faculty within the academy, particularly in engineering. And I would like to give like one recent example. Sure. Just um, last week we were um, hosted by Harvard University. I was doing uh, leading a National Science Foundation minority faculty development workshop. And we purposely had a theme where we were looking at engineering a world of difference, policy and practice. So we're looking at the intersection between policy, technology, engineering, and society. Mm -hmm. And so my idea is that we need to tackle this level of underrepresentation at multiple levels, at the individual level, institutional, organizational levels, but also at the level of policy. Mm -hmm. So that if we're doing an integrated, multi-level approach and affecting systemic change, we're much more likely to make a difference. And at the workshop, not only did we bring in engineers, uh, because we were hosted by the uh, Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Science, the Kennedy School of Government, and the Department of the History of Science and Technology. Oh, nice. So we had speakers. Among our speakers, we had Ambassador Wendy Sherman, and we also had uh, the former president CEO, CEO of the um, NAAC, NAACP, Cornell Brooks. So imagine the kind of conversation and the energy of engineering faculty across the country, all engineering disciplines, policymakers, um, others who are interested in engineering education. It's that kind of forward thinking, bringing people together across disciplines, tying in social science policy with engineering and technology. Those kinds of activities are really going to help us move the needle. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times when we talk about, you know, what it takes to build a pipeline, um, you can enter into a kind of a two-dimensional conversation about making college affordable. You know, it's, it's about scholarships. It's about um, providing material support to people. But I gather in the work that you've done, particularly with faculty, there are other obstacles that, you, that you've been working on. And, and, and can you unpack some of that for us? Sure. And, and one of the reasons why I look at systemic change, because some of what we're dealing with is the environments that we are bringing people into. So it's not just we need to draw more of the underserved and underrepresented into the environments. Once you bring them into the environments, the environments need to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. And they need to show people that you belong. We need to have high expectations and encouragement. And sometimes it is as simple as making eye contact, a mm -hmm. faculty member making eye contact with a student. Mm -hmm. The quality of the interactions between 
student to student or student to faculty members. So a lot of my work now, I'm looking at factors that are beyond the, oh, we need to do another program. You know, like, how about we just treat each other like human beings should be treated? Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, we all want to be belong. We mm -hmm. want to have that sense of belonging and inclusion. And I do want to bring up one um, partnership in particular with the Harlem community. Uh, we have a partnership between the Grove School of Engineering, Harlem District 5 Public Schools, and the Harlem Renaissance Education Pipeline. Okay. And so the idea is how do we work together, capture those young voices, those young people who are naturally inquisitive and interested in science, engineering, maybe don't know what it looks like, help them see what it looks like, grab their attention and keep that attention. So having that type of partnership also works to what I was saying as you look at the individual levels, the institutional and policy levels as well. You know, when I started paying attention to this branch of the literature and, and, and you know, one of the things that I, that I stumbled upon was the whole literature on stereotype threat where, where you know, forget, you know, how expensive school might be or whether you've got the resources to go to college. We all carry inside us um, ideas of what other people think about us. And there are situations in which those stereotypes can be activated. Um, and it's particularly the case when, when you are a pioneer in a field and in a lot of different ways people say to you, I'm surprised that you're here or I'm not sure that you... A, a, a brilliant uh, experiment that I read about once, there was a group of Asian women that they divided into two groups and they gave them all math tests. And one group, they gave it to them. They said, here's a math test. You should know that Asian women do really well on this. And they did really well. And they gave the other group the same test and said, here's a math test. Women don't do very well on math. And they didn't do very well. And, and you can see experiment after experiment where the environment that somebody comes into activates a stereotype that, that, that people carry around with them. And so I wonder when you're in this kind of a partnership in the community. I assume you're working with, with pretty young kids. Yes. Do you see that? Do you see them already at that age starting to carry around um, self-doubt? Or, or are you able to catch them at an age when the world is still wide open and, and, and they can be anything they want to be? I'm glad you bring that up because I feel that the kids are naturally inquisitive. I believe they're natural scientists and engineers. Mm -hmm. And then we beat it out of them, right. <laughs> you know, okay. like in the, in the system. So part of it is being exposed, but also having teachers and adults around you who are encouraging, because it's so easy to quickly discourage someone and, and make them feel early on that that's not the path for them. So we have to be actively engaged. So, so my, my point to you would be, to the question that you're asking, it's naturally there. Mm -hmm. What happens is these things, um, the outside messaging, the sometimes inside in the classroom, if, the, if those who are in authority positions are not showing that, you know, we expect you to be here, mm -hmm. or if they don't see people who look like them and reflect their culture, that knocks it out of them, but it's naturally there. Uh huh. So I guarantee you, in the audience listening, there are some young people thinking about college. I think there are probably some people closer to my age who are thinking about what they're going to do uh, to help their kids figure out their path forward. What would you, as the dean of the Grove School of Engineering, if you were saying to that broad audience, here's how you prepare yourself for success in our engineering school, what would you have them do? So one of the first things I'd have people do is just be open to the idea, like, I could be a scientist, I could be an engineer. Mm -hmm. um, having them understand what scientists and engineers do, making those connections of the, what's in the real world and maybe sometimes how they want to impact the world. Mm -hmm. Like, guess what? You can do that through science and engineering. Right. Encouragement. And so it's an increasing the awareness uh, amongst the 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 children themselves and as they get older, but also those who are around them, their parents, the um, educators, just to keep that messaging there and alive and that constant encouragement. 
and to see others. So if we help them, if we make the connections, like this is tied to your world, they want to know how the world works. Mm -hmm. They want to know how things work. They automatically are thinking sort of systematically. If we can help show them that and make them more aware. And the media plays a role, too. There's a study. You mentioned earlier, Vince, the study um, we're looking at the stereotype Stereotype threat. threat, yeah. Well, there have been studies where they would ask kids to draw an image of a scientist, and overwhelmingly they would draw a white man in a lab coat with crazy hair and Mm -hmm. eyeglasses. So if that's the constant image of what a scientist looks like, we need to change that type of imaging. Um, So I would, again, I would encourage everyone to let's increase awareness, let's make the connections, and let's encourage those young minds about how they can really make a difference and change the world that they're inhabiting um, through a field like science or engineering. We're pleased now to welcome Curtis Archer, president of the Harlem Community Development Corporation. Uh, Mr. Archer has been the president of the Harlem Community Development Corporation since January 2006. The corporation is a subsidiary of the Empire State Development whose mission is to encourage business investment, job creation, to support diverse, prosperous local economies across New York State through the efficient use of loans, grants, tax credits, real estate development, marketing, and other forms of assistance. Their catchment area is 96th Street, river to river, all the way up to the top of Manhattan. Mr. Archer began his career in community development as a project manager in the Neighborhood Development and Commercial Revitalization Program of New York City Office of Business Development, which later became the Department of Business Services during the Dinkins administration. After supervising the Queen's Office in New York City's Business Assistance Program, he became the Director of Economic Development and Liaison to the African American Community within the Queen's Borough President's Office. Mr. Archer was born and raised in New York City, attending the prestigious Stuyvesant High School. He received a scholarship to Mercy College, where he double majored in sociology and criminal justice. And after that, he attended Columbia University in the city of New York as a Ph.D. candidate in political science. Never had the pleasure of going to City College, though. Um, After 13 years as the president of Harlem Community Development Corporation, he successfully rejuvenated the agency's role in promoting New York State's economic policy north of 96th Street in Manhattan and enhance the economic climate for both businesses and residents in the greater Harlem community. And I should say he has been a, a good and close ally of City College of New York. He's also, by the way, the host of Soul Lounge Primetime on WHCR on Mondays from 7 to 8 p.m. And when you hear his voice, you'll know why. Mr. Archer, welcome to From City to the World. Wow, Dr. Boudreaux. Who was that person that you were just talking about? Well, (laughs) and here he is. (laughs) Thank you so much. And it's really, really a pleasure to be on the show. And and literally, like I said, I'm I'm kind of humbled by first, uh, you know, uh, seeing the doctor and having her really talk about the Grove School of Engineering and major kudos, major kudos. I'm like I said, had she been there in the beginning Maybe my son might be attending the Grove School. Just, just saying, just saying. You know, the road not taken. You know? <laughs> so I'd like to start. I, mm-hmm. I, in passing and very quickly, I mentioned what the Economic Development Council does and what tools you have at your disposal. Um, but I'd, I, let's circle back and, mm-hmm. and, and be a little more careful about explaining to people, you know, what you do and, and what tools you have at your disposal. Oh, absolutely. So, as mentioned, we are a a subsidiary of a larger state agency known as Empire State Development uh, Corporation. And uh, we, at our disposal, are, as you said, a number of resources, one of them being, of course, a grant program that we uh, utilize strategically for certain nonprofits in the community. And, And I must say, it's from funds that the good, quote, good neighbor, Columbia University, in their expansion provided to us oh. to, to utilize, to give back into the community and enhance programs and services of other nonprofits. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, that, that really is. And, you know, uh, uh, also I, I can say that we are an arm, too, of Empire State in that we, if you are a, let's say, MWBE business, uh, a minority and or women-owned business enterprise, it's our job to see that you get certified to do business with the state of New York. And we can do it in record time. And you know what? It doesn't cost you anything. I am your tax dollars at work. 
Well, so let me just put a plug in for mm-hmm. that. Um, CCNY has done well in the last year or two in increasing our MWBE okay. expenditures, but we will do better. If those of you out within listening range of here, if you're not doing business with City College, we can't do business with you unless you're certified. But um, working with Mr. Archer's organization, it won't cost you a thing. We'll get you in line to work with with this college. Absolutely. We we will definitely fast track you. Well, we'll actually go through the process of getting you certified with the state, but we can fast track then also the city uh, process. That's fantastic. Um, We talked earlier in the show about the role of... uh, engineering and technology in economic development. And speaking from the specific perspective of, of what's going on in northern Manhattan in Harlem, um, could you tell us how STEM education fits into your vision of, of, of where we need to be going? I don't even have to say. You've seen uh, the data. You've seen the studies. Uh, in terms of for the future, STEM education is a must, not, not a plus, a must, uh, so that our young people can be competitive. That, that's, those are the sectors in terms of technology and how it integrates with the, the larger society. That's exactly how we need to actually focus our young people's training. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about, let's say, when we talked about earlier about um, Amazon mm-hmm. and their potential of coming to uh, New York, that would have been a major disruptor in terms of literally the whole streetscape. Yes. And seeing how uh, that technology would have really integrated into the larger, uh, um, the largest neighborhoods, let's say, it would have been a major in terms of having young people ready and prepared to take some of those jobs. Yeah. Whether it might be shipping, whether it might be even drone flying, mm-hmm. you know. But all of those particular things, we need to see that our young people are ready. So STEM education is an absolute must. Now, you mentioned the Stuyvesant. Why aren't there many more Stuyvesants? Yeah. There, there should be. I know a whole cadre of young people in this community, West Harlem, that are not necessarily attending CCNY, but could and should. How, how can we reach them? And, 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 Doctor, that's the thing. You have to make them feel welcome there, that they're not going to be judged. That, okay, you know what? You don't necessarily have science speak. But, but you do understand the basic concepts. Mm-hmm. So it's so, so important that I think for, for the future that we have young people who are going to be engaged at an early age mm-hmm. and then ready for the challenges of, of this technology mm-hmm. and, and, and integrating it into the larger society. And Dean Barbino, you had talked about this one bridge program that we have with, uh, with District 5. But it's not the only one we have. We have, we have you know, there is the STEM Institute that works out uh, with northern Manhattan and I believe other kinds of boot camps and, and, and such that are, that are run at the Grove School as well. Greg? So absolutely right. We have um, a math, intensive math bridge program where because math has been a gatekeeper yeah. to keeping students out. So if they don't have the right math skills, particularly if they have not had calculus, mm. they're not going to be admitted or be able to be successful in engineering. So that's one place that we've uh, done. Uh, we also have a CPAS, which is like a summer program right. that uh, is skills building. We have um, a high school initiative through our remote sensing of Earth Systems program, which is out of like the Noah Crest Center. I'm going to stop you for a mm-hmm. second. That phrase, remote mm-hmm. sensing, it's a, it's, a, it's a technical phrase. It masks a bunch of really cool stuff. Could, could you just unpack what remote sensing is? Oh, sure. Like this is like from the atmosphere to the ocean. So you have <laughs> s- sensors placed where you can then pick up things like temperature and other signals Signals that you collect that information and then you can make predictions. And it includes satellites and satellites, all, that, all, that stuff. all of that. Okay, very cool. As a matter cool. of fact, we had um, a satellite on the, the roof of the Steinman building and one of our neighbors came into the building and said, what is that up there? Like, what are you people well, doing? Paying attention <laughs> to my business. <laughs> exactly. Well, I walked, I walked on campus the other day, and there were two drones being, being flown by FDNY. You need wow. a, you can't fly a drone in New York City, but the mm-hmm. fire department can. And they were carrying sensors from our um, North Crest facility doing air quality samples at 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet up. Interesting. So there, wow. is, a, there is a lot going on. Um, Mr. Arch, let me get back to you. Uh, uh, you know, now talking about the vision of, of New York's economic development, you know, life science, uh, 
you know, there's a big life science program coming out of the mayor's office, narrow miss with Amazon, but mm-hmm. Google is downtown. Mm-hmm. Northern Manhattan, tell me where, where this kind of technological revolution is, is where is it coming down in Northern Manhattan? Have we, have we got these businesses in here yet? Uh, well, the short answer is not yet, not fully, but I wanted to dial back just a second because I wanted to also give you major, repeat, major kudos for your uh, science day. Oh. At which you opened up to the community yep. to see the technologies that were going on right here on the City College campus, right? Mm-hmm. Now, w- one of the actually uh, things that I, I don't think was opened up at the time, I don't think anything happened at the Grove. We didn't tour, we did a lot of the nano stuff, I remember. Because it was science rather than engineering. Uh, but the engineering school also has an open labs day. Is, oh. that, is that correct? Yes. And so we're, we're going to start making this an annual event, but we had a Harlem. Science Day um, uh, or Engineering Day in our plaza uh, outdoors with music and entertainment. I love it. And we had exhibits so that the community could see what the engineers do. Perfect. And we're going to make that an annual event. Excellent. You know, the other thing that that particularly for young people, members of the community, the, the students in the engineering school over the course of the year compete in competitions. And they're, mm-hmm. they're all given impossible tasks. So <laughs> the one I like best is the concrete canoe. So they make a canoe out of concrete, and do they race them or just see how long they're going to float? Something, right? Well, they get raced. They race yeah. them. <laughs> they, there's a there's a um, there's a rocket club where they they go out to the desert because these are high power devices, and and you know how long, how high, um, how long they stay up, uh, and then a chemical driven car, and I know I know about this because they name their car. And there was one that was driven by a sulfur reaction a couple of years ago, and they named the car, wait for it, so fast, sulfurious. <laughs> so this is, and, and, you know, and these are things, once, once our students produce these things, they're, they're available for people from the community to come in and see. And it really gets to what the dean was saying about activating the curiosity of, of, of our students, but also people in the neighborhood who who could be our student someday soon. Um, so let's now talk okay. about what's happening in terms of economic development in northern Manhattan and yes. technology. Uh, as, it, as it relates now, there have been, uh, let's say, the growth of a couple of different organizations. One of them is actually d- doing some work uh, right here in uh, CCNY, and that, of course, is Digital Divide Partners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's working with a lot of the NYCHA housing okay. to see that they actually have access to broadband. A simple thing, you think that, you know, I can watch my Netflix, I can do my Amazon Prime. But no, if you do not have access to simple broadband up to, uptown, which really is a desert, mm-hmm. as it relates, it's getting more, it's getting better, but it has not yet arrived with, let's say, downtown. Uh, it's a problem. Yeah, It's a problem when it, when it comes to commerce, economic development, uh, health, mm-hmm. for that matter. Uh, all of those particular things uh, are, are need to be addressed as, as it relates to uh, technology. The other one that uh, oh, and also I, I got to even mention that they're actually going to be doing a forum talking about digital d- divide partners uh, with the grand houses. Oh wow! You know that's going to be happening actually uh, tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Uh, as well as, and this is one Dr. Boudreaux that you know, and that of course is Silicon Harlem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silicon Harlem, uh, Clayton Banks, and uh, Bruce Lincoln uh, working on an initiative uh, that we know of, a block that's dear to our hearts, uh, 135th Street. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing how they can actually, A, do a first an assessment of all the resources and uh, programs that are along the particular strip from the uh, police department to uh, education to health, because we know Harlem Hospital is right on that strip. And, and seeing how all, all of them relate and are integrated, but more importantly, how they can all be covered in this particular broadband uh, that will actually allow real-time, uh, this real-time assessments of where the needs are and where uh, resources can be delivered. Mm-hmm. And Silicon Harlem is a really great example of a fairly small company mm-hmm. that and you know they are not a nonprofit. No, you know Correct. Um, Clayton will be very upfront and say <laughs> we are we are a business and <laughs> really that's what the neighborhood needs is, is, is people who are at at a scale that is manageable now 
introducing technology and, and, and digital accessibility. With that event at the, uh, at the Grant Houses, mm -hmm. uh, what's the time of that? When That's going to be happening tomorrow at uh, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Oh. And it's right there at 1295 Amsterdam Avenue at 123rd Street. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's a that's the second plug of the show, but um, <laughs> be there for that one. I want to talk about, um, you know, sometimes we talk about uneven development. You know, this is a neighborhood that is very quickly gentrifying. You know, I've been at City College since 1991, and the change in this neighborhood, you've who lives it, here, right? you've seen it, you yeah. live it. You could actually, over the last 10 years, it, it is palpable. Yeah. Um, and when we were talking about Amazon earlier, one of the things that we talked about is in the first discussion that we had at, at City College about Amazon, they were going to get their high-end engineers from, you know, Columbia and Cornell. And then other people in the area, in the neighborhood could do, you know, lower wage, lower skill, lower, lower sophistication jobs. How do we make sure that as this neighborhood transforms in terms of business opportunities, we're not leaving people behind. Uh, so, Dr. Boudreaux, did you contact uh, Bollinger and just said, hey, uh, who has the most number of Nobel Prize laureates? Did you, did you call them and I, tell them? I, oh, I, I ask them. I, I, I thought I would be polite. Oh. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Bollinger, if you're listening, remember the number one institution and public institution that we're talking about that has has that distinction is CCNY. Correct. Okay, just, just so you know. Uh, known as, I don't know, why, why does it have to be known as the Harvard for the Poor? Why can't be Harvard be known as you know, rich for CCNY or something? You know? City College with money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it. So, so uh, definitely, th these are the particular things that I, uh, you know, are sometimes so flawed in, in the thinking that uh, an institution that uh, like CCNY, uh, who's done all this marvelous work, um, is is sometimes viewed as second tier. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing that sometimes frustrates me. Uh, I, I told you early on when we first met, one of the other things that frustrates me is that I'd like to see more young people from this community yeah. attend CCNY, have, have it as an option. Yeah. When my son was looking at school, he's a graduate of democracy prep, right? Did really well, so he was looking at computer science, com computer engineering, but this was not one of the uh, schools that... Literally, I don't think the guidance counselor actually put it on the map until we actually had the conversation. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, why not? You yeah. know, uh, so we need to have uh, more integration. So I, I, I hear that you're working with uh, Dr. Sandy Johnson. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Major props to, to her. So that pipeline needs to be, I, I think, broadened to have more underserved uh, populations or communities like West Harlem, like uh, Bed-Stuy in East New York, you know, um, choose uh, – Institutions like City College, uh, like uh, any of the other public institutions, why, why not? Let's say if I'm thinking about a business school and accounting, I'm not thinking about Baruch. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go to the Wharton School. Mm -hmm. You see what it did for 45, right? <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't mean much, okay? So, so having said that, look at your City University of, of New York as your go-to uh, to raising the bar in terms of meeting the challenges of this society and New York City as a whole. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways that, that you work in the council is by leveraging things like, you know, tax incentives mm -hmm. and grants and all of that. And, you know, I want to ask about the role that, the, that, a, that an engineering school can play in that. You know, I imagine you all the time get um, would-be entrepreneurs who, who have an idea and, you know, we think of our engineering school not just as a place where, where kids come and get degrees or even a place where our faculty does research. We like to think about it as a community resource. And so what, what does it mean and how would you leverage the existence of an engineering school in your work to try to shepherd some of these, these businesses to success? Well, 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 certainly there are a number of um, incentives that the state a uh, larger organization, the Empire State Development Corps, has to encourage entrepreneurship on, on the technological side. Uh, we, we have grants that are available. Let's say you come to me as a business person and there's some innovative technology, some innovative uh, procedure that you'd like to, to see go forward. We will look at that. We will assess it. And, uh, you know, if uh, you're lucky and it makes sense to us in terms of growth, uh, we will fund it. 
Mm-hmm. We will fund it. And, and I'll use the word that you don't ne- necessarily uh, hear a lot. G, grant. <laughs> oh. Okay, as opposed to a loan, leveraging something. Grant. And, and these grants are available. I mean, we like to hear it on our side of the mm-hmm. table. But these grants are available broadly in the community. Right? Uh, correct, correct. Uh, I'm going to say statewide, mm-hmm. but yes, in, in the community, if, if there is a, a, a person or persons that has uh, an innovative idea uh, that we uh, feel will, uh, let's say, uh, advance um, New York State as a whole, we want to hear it. We want to entertain it. That's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, you probably didn't hear it first, but you hear, heard it here again. <laughs> the, uh, the Economic <laughs> Development Council is here to help you. And it's a, it's a great way to, to wrap up our conversation about the 100-year anniversary of, 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 the, of the Grove School. We say at City College that you would not get um, New York City or New York State the way it currently is constructed without CCNY. And we That's mean right. that socially and economically. But today, I think we specifically want to say the technological and human capital contributions of this institution um, to the city over the last hundred years uh, really highlights the role of engineering at, at, at CCNY. And um, we want to do more with the Economic Development Council. In fact, one of the things I will say is that we on campus are looking for a new position. We've never had it before. A director of innovation management, which would be somebody that would help our faculty and students build relationships with commercial entities. Wow. So off okay. air, maybe we talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and you do know uh, we had a, a talk some time ago uh, as it related to solar. Yep. That still stands. That's all I'll say. Fantastic. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to From City to the World. I'd like especially to thank our guests, Dr. Gilda Barbino, who is the dean of the college's Grove School of Engineering, and Mr. Curtis Archer, the president of the Harlem Community Development Corporation. Uh, this show is produced by Angela Harden and yours truly, Vince Boudreau. I am your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>